Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Sermon Seconds Podcast. I'm Mitch Knight, joined by Jordan Bird, and today we are going to be talking about Psalm 53. Um, so I think to get started, Jordan was going to read it to us uh, in its entirety, and then we'll kind of give you our encapsulated thoughts on it. All right. Psalm 53 goes as follows. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There is no one who does good. God looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on God. But they are, but there they are, overwhelmed with dread, where there was nothing to dread. God scattered the bones of those who attacked you. You put them to shame, for God despised them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Mitch, I think you mentioned you had some thoughts already on this. Why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yeah, so something that Mike mentioned when he preached on this this past Sunday that really jives with me in terms of how I look at it as a whole is about the fool saying in his heart that there is no God. It's not necessarily about intellect or fancy arguments. I mean, for me, uh, a big part of me getting convinced in, you know, the fact that there is a God was through intellectual means, was through philosophy, but ultimately what it came down to was in my heart understanding that I would be accountable to a God and that there's more to just the knowledge of a God. There's actually a lifestyle that has to be lived out. So Mike was mentioning in his sermon that a lot of times people are denying the existence of God not because um, they've convinced themselves intellectually, but because morally in their heart, they don't want to align themselves with the lifestyle that God actually wants them to live. They don't want to be accountable to God because that means giving up what they've been so used to for, you know, however long they've lived their life up until that point. So for me, that's the big thing. It's a heart issue, not necessarily a mind issue. Do you have anything you want to add on to that, Jordan? Yeah, I think in general, this the phrasing that's used in the psalm is interesting in light of a more ancient culture that, at least from my understanding, most ancient cultures had some recognition of a god. And to say that there is no god seems almost a little odd just off the bat. But when you look at it from a scriptural standpoint, it's more of a contrast of there is not the god, the god that scripture is pointing to, the god that uh, David is worshiping and brings David into this whole story that the reason he's even included in the Bible and yeah, it's, it's very much a rejection of the way that God has given humans to live. And and you can see that all the way back to Genesis three with Adam and Eve of it's not that they just rejected God. It's that, well, I can be like God and I can do the God life, my way, if you want to think about it that way, it, it wasn't really like a, you're not there. It's a, I can just be either equal, if not do my own thing. And you do whatever God was going to do apart from me kind of usurping that, that role from him. 
And I see a little bit of that in what you're saying of, I mean, for some people there may be a, like, just, I mean, a lot of people end up disenfranchised or disappointed with Christianity and move all the way to there's no God. And that might just be like an easy way to kind of get out of it. And a lot of times it seems like that's more to do with the way in which God was interacted with that they weren't a fan of rather than God in the being and and how he's revealed himself to be, whether through Jesus or what we see in scripture and the stories we see in scripture. Um, It's more of a rejection of the characteristic of God of, of how humans portray him or how they interact with him or the things they say that would be like Job's friends trying to talk for God that we, that we often can get stuck with. And it gives a portrayal of, of God in a way that is not who God is. I mean, ultimately Jesus is our defining line of who God is. And, and that's where we get that from. You want to add anything further to that thought? No, I like what you said. So it's a matter of, there's a sense of idolatry there too, or a sense of the opposite of scriptural humility and saying, you know, I'm God, I can make the best decisions for me. And because I can do that, you know, there is no God but me. There is no God that the scripture is pointing to. There is no the Lord God. And like, that's just kind of me. It's up to me and my decisions. And I think that the scriptural lens over humanity that, you know, Paul quotes this in Romans 3 when he mentions all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He quotes Psalm 53. It says there's no one who does good, not even one. But even in the midst of that, we still see God in relentless pursuit of humanity because it says he looks down and he sees if there are any who like are seeking understanding or anyone who's trying to, you know, figure this out or trying to cling to him. And I think a scripture that comes to mind is in, I believe it's second Peter, uh, where, you know, the Lord isn't slow as some understand slowness, but instead he's patient with us not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So in this, even though it seems kind of doom and gloom in Psalm 53, there is that element of God's love for us and pursuit for us that's there. You know, so I, I'd never like to just immediately pinhole or like pigeonhole God into, you know, one characteristic when I read the scriptures because his character can be seen, you know, in its entirety, like all over the place. And this is another example where I think people could get discouraged, but in light of the discouraging truth of how selfish humans are, God is selfless to the point where even in this relentless pursuit of ourselves, he sent his son to die for us and to save us. So I I get grace as another major point out of Psalm 53 as well. I don't know if you had anything to add on to that or your own, your own thought on something else, but yeah. And it may be a, unusual way to maybe think of not unusual just it's not it's more uh intuitive i guess just a backwards way maybe of thinking of grace is just even in the language that's used in the psalm of talking about the fool says in their heart there's no god and then they are corrupt they are their ways are vile there's no one who does good essentially you have the psalmist you know god speaking here of People, I mean, and this comes out in a couple different psalms and even proverbs of the idea of the psalmist or the 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 person writing the proverbs giving this understanding of like 
people often seem like they're getting away with doing whatever they want or that they're not accountable to God and they can just kind of do their own thing and God's never going to catch up with them or that their ways won't ever like backfire on them. But then the, those Psalms or those Proverbs usually counter it with like, but they don't see the whole picture or eventually it will. And I think you have a little bit of that happening here where God essentially is contrasting like this is what a human being thinks is possible that either they're not, you know, there is no God or I can be like God if you're like Adam and Eve. But then God's saying like, but are they, are they able to sustain life in, in the way that like I can do that? Or are they good? Like I am good. Once you see like, and I think you have a critique almost of our secular culture here of, okay, do life without God. Is it lacking corruption? You have to look very far in our world to see that corruption is everywhere. And there's this sort of belief that, well, if we just can become educated enough, we're not going to have corruption. Or if we could just allow everybody to do their own thing, there won't be corruption. And it's like, the point is you took God out of it and there's corruption. Like you may be progressive or feeling like you've progressed in, in humankind by allowing everybody to just kind of do whatever they want. But in the process that has negated an objective standard that has allowed corruption to become part of the norm. And it just, it's chaos. It's cancer. Like it's going to show itself eventually. Like it can't, that can't be the foundation. And I think you see some of that in, in the Psalm. And again, God just sort of pointing out like human beings are flawed. They're, they're messed up. They're, they're corrupt. They, you know, they're, they're not doing good. They're not headed toward um, making everything good. Um, and like you said, it talks about the, you know, so Paul talks about this in, in Romans, uh, reflecting that, which I think is an encouragement again of like, you don't just have to go to Romans to find that out. It's here in the Old Testament. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we think a lot of like, well, if Paul didn't write Romans, somehow this stuff is absent. No, Paul's just affirming what was already true. Um, in, in other scriptures to some degree. That's not to say like there isn't revelation along the way, but like I think it's it's encouraging to know that um these things aren't just like, well if that one verse isn't there, like this isn't true. Like it's it's been revealed in other ways, if you will, in especially in else within scripture. Um the other grace I think I see beyond just like God pointing out like this is who you are, but in relation to this is who you are look who i am in relation to you like look who you need if you don't have me in your life this is what ends up happening i think to me there's that that that's the grace to see in the first part and then secondly you see that there's this longing for god's life to show up in real time and you see that especially at the end of of this uh psalm where it's talking about that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion and Zion being like Jerusalem and where the temple is and all that. Um, when God restores his people and let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. But the salvation it's talking about there is this life of God being made present and real. And ultimately that becomes manifested or enfleshed, if you will, in the life of Jesus and Jesus then inviting humanity to experience that life and following him and being reconciled back to God and, you have that grace that is also, I think, here in, in the psalm as well. You want to add anything further to that or kind of move on to another thought if you had a different one? No, I think that's a good way to sum up 
the lens of grace that we're seeing in the scripture. And I think the last thing that I wanted to bring up as a talking point was kind of one of Mike's talking points in his sermon, which is about there's a separation between right light and darkness. There's Christians, non-Christians, there's people who are saved, and then there are people who aren't. And Mike was mentioning that, like, these were the enemies of Israel, like fools, like people who willingly gave into chaos, something that isn't sustainable, something that can't thrive, and they were the ones attempting to take down the life of God, to take down um, the nation of Israel. And there's a parallel to that in our modern day. I mean, there's the church, there's Christ's bride, and then there are people that persecute the church. And I think something encouraging that I get out of this is that even if fools manage to obtain minor victories in this lifetime, you know, the Lord God ultimately wins in the end. You know, there there will be a chapter two after Christ comes back and judges all living and dead. I mean, and even if it doesn't play out that way, I mean, we've seen Christ show up and we've seen him spare people from persecution. We've seen prayers answered. You know, what's important is that we're united with God and God and his mighty hand is on our lives. So if we're with him, you know, who are we going to fear or what are we going to fear? It's not these people. And it's not trying to talk down on anybody because we want to minister to these people and um, obviously have them inherit salvation as well. But I just find that I found that kind of cool when Mike brought that up. It's that our enemies aren't going to win because we're united with God and he can do all things because with him, everything is possible. Yeah. I think the last thought I would just tack on is I think overall there's a, a longing that comes out of the Psalm of like all people long for the good life. And you have this clash of like, what is the good life is the good life within the boundaries and the way in which God has laid it out and invited us to live into it as he's gifted it to us or is the good life, whatever I construct that to be, but that ends up being very narrow focus from only our point of view or only a few people's point of view. And this is where you have the like people over and against each other and you have people you know, embattled against each other and violence. I mean, this is just where it goes into chaos and ultimately you have this, God pointing this out, like, if you want the good life, it's ultimately found in me who is good, because none of you are capable of that. You have goodness because you receive it from me, ultimately. And so there's a compare contrast of, like, where do you where do you find that? And ultimately, that's, like, what you're saying. Like, ultimately, God's going to expose all of this stuff. Like, it, that's, that's what Scripture reveals. That's what Christ reveals. That's what Christ did on the cross is expose the insanity of what people were trying to do in in getting rid of God and trying to get rid of God. And so to me, again, there's just that contrast of what is the good life and where do we find it? Ultimately we find it in the life of God. So thank you everybody for joining us in another episode of the sermon seconds podcast. And we'll catch you next time.